0: Incredulity, incredulity, I have to get it weaved in, incredulity, because I was in my mind saying incredulity, (laughs) incredulity, right. Hello and welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged, and this week my guest is Alec Briggs, founder of the Tekka Cycling Team. Alec is no stranger to the crit scene, doing things his own way and causing quite a stir in the process. In our chat, we cover everything from the unique ethos behind his team to his incredulity at why a goat and a horse might be hanging out together. Guess that snack returns, and we've got the first ever Lewisham quiz this week, folks. Stay tuned, because it's a real cracker. I've got incredulity right. Hey! (laughs) Hello, and welcome. Are you ready? Because it's that time again Probably best described as an alternative cyclist, Alec Briggs has taken his own path to the forefront of elite cycling. His Tekker cycling team has a truly revolutionary ethos and one that's quite refreshing too. But just how did he cause snack confusion in a first for the podcast? Check it out. Alec. Thank you very much, mate, for coming on uh, our podcast, Matt Stevens Unplugged. It's, um, it's. I'm looking forward to having a chat, mate. But for, before we sort of start rolling with the chat, um, what I like to do is ask our guests exactly where they are in the world and actually what they can see immediately around them so we can really set the scene. So tell us where you are and describe the location that you're in for us, mate. All
1: right. So I'm in Crystal Palace, South East London, famous yes. to Crystal Palace Crips, of course. Um, in my, I say third bedroom that we converted into an office, which, uh, me and my housemate rent, um, I can see a Skeletrics car. Oh yeah. You know, that is a proper lockdown activity That
0: <laughs> I uh, saw you, I saw you doing a bit of a, a slow-mo drift on your electric set on, on, on social media the other day.
1: Oh no, I can't over that. That was, um, that was my girlfriend's dad, Martin. He, he ah. got, he's got, he's got the finger skills for sure, man. I think he's <laughs> <looking on> point. <laughs> um, I can see turntables, I can see a record collection, um, I can see a turbo that isn't getting much use at the moment, Right. and um, to be honest, some designs for next year's tech kit.
0: Oh, good stuff, mate. Well, thanks very much for setting the scene. I've got a nice picture. I was a, Initially, I thought, will I be talking to Alec from a shed built on top of one of his mate's houses? Um, which was which was one of the ideas I believe that you were th- you were kind of thinking about once when, when you won that ten grand for the uh, for the Brompton Worlds a couple of years ago.
1: <laughs>
0: um, but no, what, but no.
1: Yeah, This morning I had a uh, call with my uh, my bank, and they're like going, "Oh, you can borrow this much money, and if you have this much deposit in like two years." And I'm sitting there going, "Man, I couldn't even afford a shed right now." So uh, yeah, yeah, strange strange times. Strange times, yeah,
0: strange, strange times, mate. But no, it's lovely to chat yeah. to you, mate, and thanks for giving us a nice uh, little bit of, a, of an insight. Actually, um, you mentioned Crystal Palace. I know you do a lot of buzzing around Crystal Palace, and, um, and what I am going to try, what I am going to do here before we start, is just shoehorn a little bit of Christmas fa- uh, Crystal Palace history in because my first ever win as a junior was in Crystal Palace in nineteen eighty seven, and I won a race a crick or junior of the year. still got the trophy, um, and I won fifty quid, mate. 50 sheets in 1987 I thought I was a millionaire it was great I've, I've still I can still remember it like it was yesterday
1: <laughs> Man that's so good did you ever go to Crystal Palace Cricks when um, you had like the sign on down at the, the like by the track Yes yeah you know, Do you remember Jan who used to do a sign on the numbers and you'd like you pay your entry and then you got your race winnings from last week the week before Vague.
0: Oh, I mean, this is really vague, but I know, I know what I know what you mean. And well, uh,
1: and I, it, like you're a fiver, and then like, as a junior or youth, you try and win like the three-four race or something, and then you come back with like forty quid. You're like I am rich. This is the best
0: thing ever. you,
1: know, <laughs> you know, you're costing, like twenty-five quid center, and you don't get anything, which sucks. But you know, that's, yeah.
0: yeah, I remember it was a. I want it was a fifty-pound note, which is like back then they were like the size of the Daily Telegraph. They were massive, like a massive map, <laughs> and I had it, it folded up in this brown envelope. And um, I didn't spend it for months. So I just had it on, on my little shelf with all my like uh, Snoopy and Peanuts books, um, just as a memento because I was so blown away by it. But anyway, le- less about me.
1: Oh, right, well, what, <laughs> what, what made you break the fifty quid? though? put him. What What did you break the fifty quid on? There.
0: Do you know what? My mum wanted to borrow some money off me. Oh yeah, and I because I won a few quid in my first year as a ju- as a junior, and I ended up lending him some money to help pay for the double glazing. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yeah, all yeah. of that is. That's yeah, quality. but I didn't, I didn't have the foresight, um, Alec, to charge him any interest. So about three years later, they paid it back. But I didn't earn any money, so I learned a lesson there. But obviously, it was my mum and dad. But uh, there, you he- the the 1980s, <laughs> there you go, the heady days of the nineteen eighties, mate. There you go. Paid you in through twenties and a tenner, didn't they as well? Oh yeah, no, it was there. There were good days, good days, and, and really, really fond memories of um, of racing at Crystal Palace, mate. And we'll talk about that a little bit a bit later. But what I'd um. Like to do first off because you, you obviously I wouldn't say you've actually burst onto the scene. You've kind of been there or thereabouts for like the last kind of four or five years, is not you? But now you've kind of broke through with your techers team. But what what I want to learn a little bit about, and and I'm sure the listeners would like to know, is like your earliest memory uh, of getting on a bike. So just talk us talk to me a little bit about the early days when you first got into to bike riding.
1: All right. So do you know what a uh, speedway is? the motor racing yes yeah so my dad was like super into speedway um and i used to watch it with him as a kid right we had like a small garden southeast london and i used to dress up as a speedway rider when i was like two three years old with stabilizers and he'd like breastplates and like i get a helmet and put like a visor over it and then for the starting tapes we get like a little electrical piece of tape and um like pull it to the fence like an elasticated piece of tape and then just i'd fire that and that would be the idea of the gates going up, I and mean, I just wagged my bike around this little, probably twenty meter garden. Um, and I think my earliest memory of doing that is once I'd learnt to ride about stabilisers. I was racing my dad around the garden, and he had some like, ripped jeans where his pockets was, and my brake lever got caught in his jeans, and I was, like, flying. <laughs> <laughs> I on the floor, and I remember just like balling my eyes out, like, and my mum coming out and just like give me a cuddle and the best thing about all this is that it's capturing <clears throat> video. you know your parents have those old like family videos or something They like,
0: wow so you've actually got that somewhere
1: yeah i have i fully so if you need that footage i can i can sort you out of that if you want that,
0: to bring me oh that would be very very special indeed because obviously back in back in the day when i was on a bike um there was no such thing as, as video cameras or in the when i was a kid but we i did used to r- ride around the garden. My dad wasn't, my dad was a motorcyclist actually, um, really into motorbikes. Um, he was a motorcyclist in the police and he, he was a marshal on a lot of uh, bike races back in the day. Um, so he was really into bikes. So I grew up in, in and around motorbikes um, and cycling. And I used to do the sort of similar thing. I didn't dress up as a speedway rider, but I did. My dad used to help me set out obstacles in the back garden and used to ride around and do little stunts because I was really into Evil Knievel and I had the Evil Knievel toy. <laughs> and, I, and I thought I'd, I was a cross between, like, Eddie Merckx and Evil Knievel.
1: <laughs> That's a pretty baller combo, isn't it? Let's go. it.
0: <laughs> it certainly is, mate. It certainly is. But uh, so, so kind of what led to you kind of being competitive then? What was the kind of next step?
1: Um, you know what? Truth be told, it was, I was just like, I hated school. I just, I think no one really clocked it, but my, my head was always somewhere else. Like, everyone's always like, you've probably got ADHD. Never been going to get it checked out and i just kind of like just fell into my own world at school and with that i think my confidence kind of went with it yeah i was was like quite social and stuff but then i must have got to about eight years old and just was just in my own world and my mum was all right what does he like doing he likes bike riding so she took me down to hern hill just to kind of reignite my social abilities i guess and um I just fell in love with it, man. To be honest, uh, I started out doing the mountain bike stuff around the back with Hernhill Hill Youth and like Bill Wright and stuff, and then got into more of the track stuff around about sort of when I was nine or ten. And then I just started mountain biking all the time, and it's, it's just Hernhill. Hill. I like I pretty much owe my I call Hernhill Hill my second home. To be honest, um, I right. love it there, and I just I owe my life to Hernhill, Hill. Really, if I'm honest with you, um,
0: but, uh, yeah. I, I I um I actually did race a little bit. As again in the in the 1980s at Herne Hill, my dad used to race there. He did a lot of track riding as well, um, and then I, I I did quite a lot of Paddington track, which no longer exists. But I remember got only really really I, I rode an old second hand track bike from the 1960s that my dad had got second hand, so it's third hand, and it was a yeah steel frame from like 1964 1965, and I just bloody loved it. And it, it was more, I don't know, not so much the competition, just the hanging out and the fun that really got, got me into it really. Yeah, well,
1: I, I still experienced that same hanging out and finding it like local trap league now at Herne on a Wednesday. Like, I think for mo- a lot of people, in fact, I was speaking to someone about it this morning. Um, you know, that, that was like a highlight of our year. It wasn't just going down and racing. It's like the atmosphere is so friendly there. Everyone's so welcoming and encouraging from like, you know, the ground up, including like, the sign-on star to everyone you're racing with. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but some races that I go to, like venues, even in London, I'm just like, why is everyone so frosty? Like, what is with this, like, weird kind of, I don't know, man, just like snobbery in place. But Hearn Hill just seems it hasn't got that. And everyone's, like, having beers afterwards, chatting jokes. It's it's nice, man. It's a real nice place. Yeah. It, that I,
0: I think you're, you're right. Um, and um, I, I, I think cycling... Um, although it's it's kind of wonderful that they, and there's the and the club side of it, there's the traditional element, there's the heritage in relation to the the races that go back nearly a century now. But within that, there is and there is a little bit of snobbery, and uh, I think it's I think it's falling away, but it still exists in some places. And that and, and I can definitely say that some people will have experienced that, wanting to get into cycling and turned away and never come back, and that's a real shame. And um, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. But I think what you're doing is very, very inclusive. And I think that's the the only way that cycling will survive, and it, and it will survive because it's it's bigger than all of us. It's the most amazing, liberating thing in it. It's a, it's a it's a bit of mechanical genius, isn't it? Um, the, the essentially what the bicycle is. But yeah, I've I've experienced that, and I've seen it firsthand. And I guess when I was younger as well, I might have even been guilty of it in the club. If anybody came and rode with our club, uh, and they got dropped, we'd just leave them behind. And thinking back, it's like what on earth were you doing, you know? And now I'm I'm the complete opposite. It's like whatever your ability. It's like, you know, whatever your choice, whatever, whatever bike you want to ride for whatever reason, um, they should be of value, shouldn't they? Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Well, it's like, we've been saying that though. Like, I think there's just got to be the right infrastructure within a club for that, for those yeah. people who were getting dropped to be in the right place. Right. It's like, yeah. The person that's getting dropped shouldn't be on a ride with you. And it's just everyone understanding that and going, you guys ride with these guys, you guys go and do this. And you're all just as valued as each other, but it's just putting everyone in the right place, which is so difficult, I guess. And, requires a lot of time and investment, right? So I I don't blame you for going, just cracking off your ride because that's what you had to do at the time. But then there's someone being there for that person that has got dropped that is selected to do that role, right?
0: Yeah. No, I think then, and there's a lot of clubs that I've kind of spoken at. I do a fair bit of speaking at uh, at club dinners and stuff, which I really like because I think clubs are very, very important. And there's some, a lot of clubs now that, do exactly what you just described. They have, you know, a beginners section. Back back then, in the, about 20, 30, 40 years ago, we didn't have a beginners section. If you turned up and got dropped, that was it. You either hung on, but and it and it was just the way it was because there was no option. But now clubs are far more structured. Not all clubs, but a lot of clubs think think about that. Women only ride, for example. You know, beginners rides, um, and um, it's going to keep those people in the sport.
1: Yeah, completely. And it might it might not just keep them in the sport, right? It might create new champions and new talent from all corners of the world that we never even thought of before or are completely underrepresented at the moment.
0: Yeah. I mean, so so the next step then, so you, you're obviously basing around Herne Hill. You, you obviously got quite good, but you cl- quite clearly didn't kind of forge a traditional path in terms of where you are now. I mean, you're a high profile rider, but you're, the route to where you are today, let's be honest with you, is kind of unorthodox and you've kind of found your own kind of pathway through elements of cycling that are kind of not disparate, but on the kind of on the periphery of of the road cycling scene, which I'm kind of centered in, and it's it's your trajectory to where you are now has been really, really interesting.
1: You know what? Up until I was about 17, 18, it was. It was completely traditional. You know, I was on the British cycling training days and stuff like that and going on camps and even like, you know, did like some junior European champs and stuff like that. But then when I got to 18, I just, when it didn't go my way, or, you know, things didn't work out, I just kind of fell out of love with it. And it was completely alternative cycling that really gave my love for traditional cycling as well, and traditional cycling as I knew it, like road and track. Um, and how I got back into cycling, I was dabbling after university and just trying to get fit again. But then um, my mate Rafa asked me if I wanted to try something called Red Hook Crip. Yeah, And um, he put it to me as like MotoGP on bicycles. And I was like, yeah, fine, yeah. That's
0: a good description. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was just like, he was like, you have to think about your cornering more. And, you know, it's a bit more technical. It's a bit more chaos. And I was like, 100% sign me up. Like, that's everything I love on a bike. And then I did that. And then I realized I was like rubbing shoulders with some like pretty prestigious riders who had, you know, had Tour de France stage wins on their, on their books and, you know, paris Bay top 10s and stuff. And I was like, man, there's some good riders I'm racing with here. And then just through wanting to get fit, and do better at like Red Hooks, I just found myself loving like road crits, which I'd never really got into that much. And then just back into track racing. And then to the point now where I've almost like gone back to loving just standard road crits more than I do fixed gear crits. Um, But yeah, without Red Hook crit and fixed gear racing, which was like a complete, when I did it and it first came to London, everyone was like, oh, you're such a hipster. He's gonna break your bones or whatever. And now that kind of a stigma has completely disappeared, you know, with it kind of gaining, credibility over the last couple of years. But um, yeah, without that, I wouldn't have got back into cycling to the way I have done. And I wouldn't have like ended up being on like Specialized and then ended up just, you know, being able to like build a career out of cycling and almost riding full time and arguably, which is absolutely mental. So yeah, yeah. that I had nothing to do with traditional cycling, which is quite nuts really.
0: I mean, actually you know, touching on on the Red Hook stuff. I mean, I, uh, I think it's just, I think it's just amazing. It's brilliant. I mean, um, and um, quite, kind of underground as well although it's got kind of more mainstream over the last few years it was proper edgy before and I've um I've never actually been to I've seen fixed gear crits at London you know at the Nocturne where there's you know there's the traditional crits there's the Penny Farthing the Brompton and I've seen all those but I've never been to a Red Hook but what was it just describe to me your first race then so did you do much of training on a fixie in corners before you must have done a little bit was it a bit of a baptism of fire or did you adapt pretty quickly to it
1: uh I love that sort of thing, so I wasn't afraid of it, but I was surprised at how like unnerving it was straight away. I went to Crystal Palace Park with my with my mate Rafa, mm. um who offered me like a ride on his team. He'd just see me racing at the track and stuff a little bit. And I said loading at like a Hillingdon Creek one time. Um but he took me down to Crystal Palace. We didn't go to the racetrack, we went to a car park, like just off of it by the National Sports Centre. And we just like went round some just like 90 degree turns and then did like a hairpin and stuff. And then like within 20 minutes, it was just like, yeah, it's just like riding a normal bike. And what I found most jokes is that you weren't by the end, you weren't actually worried about your pedal hitting the floor. Like the tire limits actually kind of similarly in the same place as you would be on a free wheeled road bike. Um so you just—it all kind of just falls into place. It feels unnerving and slowing down in time, and locking your back, your legs up to slide the back wheel is pretty crazy. But once you get over that, it's—it's it's actually quite similar to road racing. I think you just think, I've got to hit my braking marker, I've got to be smoother, and I've got to think about my corner line a little bit better, and all yeah. that kind of things. I just naturally loved anyway. um which might play playstation games as a kid pretending to be a motor gp rider you know just stuff
0: like that i i a couple of years maybe four years ago now i went to uh when i was with gcn i I went to berlin and we we did uh, a feature with Schindelhauer bikes and it obviously they've got a fix i think that they do ride the red hook stuff they've got you know a big the, the pretty good german company that make fixed gear bikes and they make um I watched the bikes with those low friction chains. Um, anyway, it, it was. it But I learned. Um, I went around Berlin with this lad. His name escapes me, unfortunately. But it was a great laugh, and and I'd never ridden a fixie on the open road um, with traffic. And and I learned how to brake by just like pedaling backwards and stuff. And it, it takes a bit of time, doesn't it? But once you get it, it's actually it's it's pretty amazing, really, isn't it? It's it's so much fun. It's like it's quite a nice sensation lock up that back wheel and just sliding, isn't it? you yeah.
1: like, when am I going to stop but I tell you what though you ask about the baptism bit you put that in a race scenario and you are going like 50 55k an hour you know into a hairpin turn you're like I've got to start breaking too and everyone around me's got to start breaking too that's when it gets a bit gnarly and you're
0: like because mm. <laughs> I, I always thought that the red crits were generally on circuits that didn't have corners to that was so sharp that you couldn't actually get around them at, at, at speed but you, so you're saying there are hairpin turns and yeah. you literally do have to to skid to stop and then, and then accelerate out again just using the fixed
1: yeah if anything it's the opposite Jeez. so right. like Brooklyn Barcelona like they're the most technical grip circuits I've ever ridden in my life um, like hairpins fast paced like 90s like just good corners that link up. So you have to like flow into them as well. Like if you get one wrong, you get the next two corners wrong, stuff like that. Right, right. And I guess what you can't rely on is that you can't rely rely on altering and freewheeling or breaking and like resetting yourself because you're on that, trying to keep everything smooth. And there's like so much about momentum that like you have to be so cautious about your line and stuff. But um, yeah, on the whole, it's they're better circuits, more technical. And I think that's kind of why the sport's so great on its own. And I can call it like its own separate sport. It's that like you can get like a wild tour rider, and like people that were winning like you know track world cups and stuff coming up, and they were just they couldn't do it, and that yeah. was, it wasn't just because of you know it was on a fixed gear bike; it was because there was hairpin turns and the the, corner, the circuits are really technical as well. And you think maybe they would have even struggled on like a in a road bike crate on that circuit, which is kind of cool, I thought.
0: I mean, I think that's one of the things that I've kind of kind of learned about you just through through your presence on social media, really. And I've met you, I know I've met you a few times, generally over a beer in places. I think the last time we met. Bloody hell, it might have actually been back in Harrogate um, at the World Championships and, and one of those lost nights in Harrogate. I think every night was a lost <laughs> night at the Harrogate World. Me and you just looking up and seeing... Who was it that won the women's that,
1: that year? Van
0: Yeah, Van Vluten, yeah.
1: He was just dancing on the table and me and you were like...
0: Yeah, that's right. Oh, God, that was another <laughs> night. I was thinking of another night before that, but yeah, that, I do remember. They were the heady days. I mean, <laughs> um, blimey. They, they, they were good days. But, uh, but no... Your ability on a bike—I mean, you—you're you, very kind of relaxed, and obviously you, you take it in your stride. And, and obviously, the kind of skill side of it—I mean, I, I know that that techers is, is basically slang for like skills, isn't it? And you, but the skill side of it, you—you you kind of make the way you describe it—it's—it's it's kind of almost like it's inbuilt and innate, and not something particularly complicated. But I look at the stuff that you can do, and I, it just blows my mind because as a quite a traditional cyclist my idea was not not to fall off and keep both wheels flipping glued to the ground but what you can do with a bike is is massive is is so so impressive
1: oh thanks man um you know what i think you just kind of like mess around as a kid right and you just love doing stuff and i think i was always riding mountain bike so i think my skills are just like below average when I look at you know the people who I see ragging mountain bikes and you look at Danny McCaskill and all those people oh God, yeah, yeah. I was like my hero as a kid growing up so you watch them and you're just like they're another they're not even human um I feel, I just enjoy that kind of stuff and I I realized as a kid I was never really that um powerful or strong And like even when I was like doing well and like you know competing for like national titles and stuff it's like I had to rely mostly on being efficient and skillful and yeah. I guess I just kind of focus a little bit more on that to get more out of it. I just take, I just enjoy it, man. It's just fun working out what you can do on a bike and what you can't do. And even if someone's already done it, right? It's just, I don't know, it's like solving a Rubik's Cube or something. You just, yeah. you have fun doing it.
0: Yeah. I, and what about um, growing up? I mean, you, you talked about you, you know, your dad was into kind of speedway and you, you got into kind of cycling through through that. I mean, were there any people that you, as a kid, that you remember kind of looking up to, like cultural icons or maybe people in sport? Because throughout the pod, I generally always ask people that question. Some people, you know, I've got no nobody that I really look up to or admire, and others have got like genuine kind of heroes, heroines that they admired, that influenced what, what they did. Is there anybody in, in your life as a youngster growing up that you kind of looked to for any inspiration, or did it all come from your family and from within?
1: Uh, to be honest, man, like, I didn't remember the in <clears throat> family. Um, and I didn't understand what like, cycling culture or who anyone was. So, for example, when I went to European cyclocross champs, the world champion rose past in, like, rainbow bands, and I asked who was that, and everyone laughed. And I was like, I don't actually know who that is. I've never watched a cyclocross race in my life, you know, like, right. out of the UK. Um, to be honest, I think if I was going to – if I was aware of anyone, it was someone like Steve Pete in, yeah. like, downhill mountain bike side. Um, I remember, like, a few BMXers, like – Jamie staff who then went to the track and that kind of like being a thing. Um, but to be honest, man, I never really had any heroes. Um, the more I learned about people as I grow up, like the less I think I think the are heroes anyway. Um, sure. And it's just, you know, we put everyone on a pedal sport, pedal, pedal sport, sport so bad. And it's just like, you go, well, and I, you just kind of have to make up your own mind, right? And like, you realize that no one's on the same path as you, no one's doing the same thing. It's like, you can take as much inspiration as you want, but everyone's dealing with their own shit. And then just kind of got a. I don't know you've got to find your own way. I think, and I think with that, I haven't really ever really had a role model. Just um, yeah. because, I guess, I tell you what, actually, this is a lie. Ed Clancy, <laughs> I remember seeing oh, yeah. Ed Clancy at tour point, when I was like 15, and I saw this kid, and I was like, "Who's that ginger guy in a GB jersey?" And I said, "I was like, it's the future me," as like a joke, and he turned around and like laughed, and I always liked Ed Clancy from that, and I knew nothing about him at all. Other than like the last couple of years of like you know found out a little bit more about him said hello and he is like the nicest most down to earth guy so I think yeah Ed Clancy is my 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 role model of current times and on one day he was when I was like twelve years old
0: that's really cool uh, and that's really I, I I think off the back of that I mean it's it's quite clear and I think as you get a bit older you kind of realise that um, regardless of who you kind of admire and look up to, whether it's in sport or outside in the arts, whether it's music, you know, um, or or whatever, um, we're all human, aren't we? And that's, and we've all come at something and we've all got our own backstory, which gives us a completely different context, completely different sets of reasons for doing what we're doing. Um, and though you might admire what people have achieved, ultimately you are the master of your own destiny, aren't you? And it's, it's, we've com- got completely different sets of circumstances. And, and quite often, I guess, looking up to somebody and wanting to be like them, you're never going to be like them. It's just about being the best version of yourself, isn't it?
1: Yeah, exactly, man. You nailed it. And I think, you know, you kind of like, growing up in sport, I'm sure you had it as well. There's You're on like a cycling camp or a cycling team and you've kind of got to conform to a certain way of doing things and um, I think if you're not even like school and stuff like you know you learn in a certain way you do things in a certain way and if that doesn't suit you you're kind of exiled or you, your cast is not is not acceptable that isn't yeah. really the case you know sometimes you can be just you've got to do it in your own way and you can excel beyond anyone could imagine I think it's just working out how to do that which is the hardest part and I'm, I'm sure that's a lot of time and effort for anyone to facilitate but yeah, man, I guess that's kind of how I feel about that kind of stuff. Like role models always can seem like a weird thing to me. I've never been like starstruck by anyone or anything, but sure. I do really respect how someone's done something and someone's work ethic. So yeah. yeah, never role models, but more just like respect for people, I reckon.
0: Yeah. And it's it's great that you mentioned Ed Clancy. Uh, is it, Like you say, is it a lad that um, our kind of careers domestically anyway overlapped? Um a brilliant bike rider, but a really wonderful Danteworth guy, considering he's a multiple Olympic champion. He's got his feet, feet firmly on the ground. And I, I it always amazes me how he can go so quickly with shoulders so broad because mm-hmm. he's so on air. He's aero, but on aero. Physic I mean, physically, it's like a brick, isn't he? Um, but then somehow the way that he rides and, and again, if you want to learn how to ride a crit, Jesus. He just sit but again, he's got the the engine to kind of go with it. He's so accomplished as a bike handler but the way he just rolls around at the back and then just does what he wants to do it's almost supernatural he really is impressive to watch
1: is it, I think I heard like something about him being like one of the only riders that's won a sprint world cup gold medal and an endurance <laughs> world cup gold medal
0: yeah well he's, he's, he's on the cusp of being able to ride yeah he's there was some thinking because of the way that Ed was performing when he was doing the team pursuit. I mean, and then he actually did some training with the uh, the Olympic Olympic pursuit guys, you know, when they do three laps, the sprinters. And um, and that led them to think that can we rope in some of the sprinters to do the first few laps of the pursuit? And just because of the way that Ed's physiology overlapped between sprinting and endurance, for, for a short period of time, the GB team did look at um, trying to bring in sprinters. To, to make him quicker over the opening laps. And it's based on what Ed could do because he's unusually versatile. Generally, pursuiters, you know, go on to, many of them, as, as we know, have gone on to win the Tour de France and stuff like that. But Ed was the other way. He was more of an explosive, you know, um, endurance-based rider. Um, but yeah, he, he could do it all. And a lot of it as well, just sat down in the saddle as well. Incredible. Yeah. Remind, reminds me of Rob, Rob Hales, but the way he can generate power from a seated position just blows my mind.
1: He's crazy, man. My, my claim to fame is Ed Clancy coming up to me at Brooklyn's last year and go, Alec, what tire pressure should I be running today? And I was like, holy crap.
0: I was like, cool, I'm good. That is pretty cool. We're going to change pace now, uh, Alec, if you don't mind. Um, in our little email exchange ahead of this uh, this pod, I did ask you where you were from. And obviously, uh, you, you were you're, you're from Lewisham originally. So what we've got now is a quiz based on Lewisham. Oh, okay man. now at this point I'm just going to pause and at that point um our producer Niall is going to drop in a jingle um and if you listen to this week's podcast which when this goes out would be a couple of weeks ago <laughs> uh we've got a brand new jingle mate for this particular section and it's it's radical and I think as a kind of DJ and music appreciator um you'll um you'll absolutely love it but without further ado it's time for the Lewisham Quiz
1: the uh, Lewisham Quiz
0: Okay, how are you on Lewish in fact?
1: Oh man, you're only talking <laughs> about him, Fritz. If you, are, you know, Fritz, I know you won't know who Fritz is, but Fritz is like our local infamous legend, you know, he's just like running the streets pretending to like say he was an old boxer and he comes up to try and box you. And if you don't know him, you would be petrified of him, but he's he's actually really sweet and lovely. He's kind of- all
0: right, okay. Well, I'll keep an eye. Next time I'm in Lewisham, I shall I shall keep my eyes peeled for him. But but basically, I've got three questions for you. Um, now I'm not going to try and do your legs, mate. I have. They're all multiple choice, so don't stress. Okay. So um, if you don't know the answer, you can just punt for a guess, and you'll have you know you'll you'll have a pretty decent chance. So first up is this. So stay focused, mate. Take a couple of deep breaths. Here we go the clock tower in the pedestrianised area to the north of the High Street to commemorate Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee was completed when? <laughs> What's it? A, so it's basically, uh, do you know what I mean?
1: No, I've, I've no, nah. to be honest, man, look, I survived by- <laughs> using A levels by picking A, B or C, so hit me, go on, we
0: can do this. Okay, so basically there's a, there's a clock tower on the High Street in Lewisham High Street. you probably walked past it. Was it built in 1890? 1895
1: or 1900? Uh, I've always been a GCSE go see if you don't know person. So yeah, see it is.
0: Correctamundo. (laughs) (laughs) See, never fails, man. (laughs) The pow- the ta- see, see, you've got tactical prowess on the bike and off it as well, mate. Great skills, roped in from your GCSE days. So one out of one, you're off to a flying start. This is the kind of start that you did on the internet the other day when you just did a wheelie and went out the blocks. Um, so second question. Okay, listen carefully. This is I've quite, I'm quite proud of this question. Which rock pop star wasn't born in Lewisham? okay. Okay, so which of these three pop stars was not born in Lewisham? Was it Barry Gibb of the Bee Gees? Was it Bill Wyman of the Rolling Stones, or was it Sid Vicious of the Sex Pistols? One of those wasn't born in Lewisham. Two of them were. Ah, oh, it's between A or C, isn't it? If I'm, if I'm thinking.
1: See now, with um, Sid Vicious's voice, I wouldn't have said that was a Lewisham voice.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Cause that's like, but then if you go back that far, maybe that was how they spoke back then. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. BG's boy, a.
0: Correct. (laughs) Yes, spot on. Barry Gibb, mate, was actually born in the Isle of Man. So, flipping heck, you. The
1: Rolling Stones played like um, there's this old function room like near me, and like everyone played there, like bar the Beatles and like Rolling Stones, all sorts. And I think they're the band that kicked it off. And now it's just like some some like jokes, mostly mostly hosts like African weddings and stuff. But I would love to throw a gig in there one day and just like put on some like, old old rock tribute bands to all the bands that played there, like Hendrick, all sorts. It was mad.
0: Oh, brilliant stuff. No, it's not. I, I do like old gig venues. Um, but uh, no, I mean, you're, you're doing cracking. I mean, good logic there. So two out of two so far. So this is all, you could be, you, you're staring 100% in the face on the, the first ever Lewisham quiz, Alex. So here it is. Question number three, the final question of the Lewisham quiz. Okay. The Lewisham coat of arms features two animals on their hind legs, leaning against a shield. Which pair of animals um, are on the Lewisham coat of arms? Is it a goat and a horse? Is it a horse and a deer? Or a deer and a lion? (laughs) Okay, I'll go through again, mate. Anything so, other than the Lewisham crown is
1: just redundant to us. <laughs> if you ain't repping the Lewisham crown, what are you got, what doing?
0: Um, so basically, A, goat and a horse, B, horse and a deer, or C, a deer and a lion?
1: See, I don't really know what a goat and a horse would be doing together. But <laughs> I can, uh, I can understand the ulterior motive of a lion hanging out with a deer. So I'm going to go for C.
0: Oh mate, it's not right. It's actually a horse and a deer, mate. I invented the lion completely from my head.
1: Oh, man. <laughs> oh there you go. Jingle and all <laughs> yeah. You see, I was thinking that the lion's like, yeah, man, let's try and show some real nice thing how lions and deers can get along and don't really need to eat each other. I thought it might be some well, kind of cuckoo stuff they're going for, but well, no.
0: do, you, do you know what? I mean, based on that, that very kind of um, you know, social lo- you know, a positive social logic, I reckon you could lodge an appeal and get it changed.
1: Why not? Why not? Anyway, I, quite, I quite like the horse and the deer. I'm quite interested. Yeah. In the horse and a goat, though, that's pretty good.
0: Yeah, I don't know what. I, I, I know. Weirdly, a goat just came into my head, and I just I don't know if any coats of arms have ever got a goat on them, but they've mostly got like regal type of animals. But anyway, there you go. You've you've got um yeah two out of three, mate, which works out in rough maths it's about seventy two percent or something. I don't know. Uh, nice one. Um, okay. Now moving on. Uh, talk to me about the Techers team, mate. Um, that's what you're kind of famous for at the moment. That's what you're doing. That's what you spend a lot of lot of your time clearly doing. You've pulled together a great bunch of bike riders um, and a cool bunch of sponsors as well. So talk to me about um, how Techers kind of came into being and um, and was it something you'd planned for a while to try and get a team?
1: Uh, you know, it's always something you consider doing. you kind of like, it would be cool to have my own team and it was like something... A few of me and my mates had, like, joked about um, just to kind of – you know when you get sick of something or, like, something – sometimes in cycling, things just annoy you. Like, people wind you up or, like, club traditions or something. Yeah. And there was always that kind of joke, like, we could run our own team. And then one day, I just had, like, enough of running with other people or, like, you know, doing, like, things I didn't necessarily agree with. And I went, you know what? I'm just going to do my own thing. And um, I'll be my own boss. I'll answer to my, my own perils. And if I mess up, it's my fault. It's no one else's i quite liked having that responsibility on myself um so then i just like got some mates together got some people that i thought were really good cyclists or were really good cyclists and hopefully could give them a kick up the arse to try and be great again and i went let's try and add some focus on skills rather than just like watts and arrows which is all really important i totally get it but i was yeah. getting a bit sad at how many kids especially like 14 year olds were just so obsessed with how much power they're putting out, and you know the latest era equipment. I was like, man, this ain't what racing's about. It's like if these kids can like learn how to ride a bike sick, and learn how to be efficient without all the help they can get. Once they get that help, they're going to be flying. So I just wanted to put that, you know, cart for the horse, horse for the cart, whichever way it goes, and um go from there, really.
0: And yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, it's a really. I think that's a, a lovely kind of ideology. It's a real kind of simple one. I think it's very, very. And we've talked about it already, haven't we? You know, the, the the reason why the vast majority majority of us are in this kind of game, you know, whatever element of the sport we're in, is because we we love it. And and as a kid, the reason you get on your bike in the first place isn't to see how strong you are; it's to have a laugh with your mates, isn't it? And and, and there's no reason why that can't continue um, into you know later in later into your life. Obviously, the other things will fall into place, but first and foremost, it's the love of the sport, isn't it? And enjoying it and becoming, you know, what as as at one as you can with the bike as well.
1: Yeah, exactly, man. I think it's just, you know, you want to be encouraging sport and encouraging sport from the grassroots all the way to the elite as long as you can. And, um, I just wanted to offer, I don't think anything was like necessarily wrong with how everything was going on beforehand. I just wanted to offer something different. So if there was people like me growing up, you know, now, um, they could look at the thought and go, I'm not really interested with, you know, all these like what's and stuff. And here's something that I can relate to a little bit more. And that's that's what I wanted to offer. I just wanted to add to the cyclone while well, I didn't want to replace anything, you know, and that's that's kind of where I see I stand. I don't see my, myself like doing anything better than anyone else is doing it. It's just my way of doing it. And if people want to get involved, wicked.
0: So, so how many how many I mean you've got a really good lineup now. I mean, I know you, your your website at the moment is currently kind of still being built. You've got your you got your merch on there, your clothing stuff. I mean, I know you do stuff with Rafa and you're sold out. So there's it's clearly the, the team have become kind of really kind of quite popular in an underground kind of way. But you've got some you've got some big riders on the squad.
1: Yeah, man. Team, team's wicked. I think with everyone I approach, um, and some people approach me, I've gone, how can the team help you rather than do – because I think what happens, so many cycling teams are like, this is how we're doing it. Do you fit in? And yeah. I think that's the way to operate. So I've tried to keep it small. I've got five men and five women, um, yeah. juniors, you know, one one junior boy and one junior girl. Um, and I ask each of them, no matter how good they are, you know, what is it they want to achieve and how can I help them? Um, and it's amazing, you know, the responses I get when I ask them that. They're like, wow, I've never been asked that before. And it's like, you're looking at really prolific athletes. So they're like, oh, that's actually really good because now I can like, for example, Ellen doesn't really want to do any road racing, right? Until she's, over, she's done with Olympics it's like, she's going to get hurt. And it's just like, cool. Well, you do your thing until then. And after that, maybe we'll do some crits and we can do some stuff in the meantime, which doesn't have any connection to racing or you getting hurt. Mm. And when it comes to um, a new rider on the team I'm bringing in this year, it's just all about him balancing school and like enjoying his racing. So when he comes to a second year junior, like he's fully equipped and can be in the right headspace to commit to racing a bit more. Um, and then with like some riders are like, they'll ring me like once a week and just ask me for a anything from like relationship advice to training advice or I, I, you know i leave i leave alone completely and I, I might hear from them next year i'm cool with that you know i don't i just want everyone to feel like they can be confident in their own skin doing their own thing and i think that's that's how we've got the, the riders we've got now which is it's sick and luckily we all really get on i really respect them all as individuals and i think what i was most disappointed about this year of coronavirus is that i reckon on like the crit side of things like we've cleaned up I reckon even against like the big teams, like, having like Felix, John Mould, um, myself, Neil and Ewan on the team on the men's side, I think we just were like cleaned up with that. And now to make sure we do the same on the women's side, I've like built out a full women's squad for crits next year as well, which is real sick. And there's some real good riders coming on that side, which who, who are not announced yet.
0: But Yeah, I mean, I know you've you've obviously you've got I mean it's Eleanor. We're talking about Eleanor Barker, you know, world world champion on, on the squad. I mean that's a uh, doesn't make no bounds of make no bones about it, for, for her to agree to wide for I think is, um, you know, is um, really gives, not that you need a stamp of approval, because I know that's not what, what you've set about to do, but the fact you've got it, it just underlines that you, you, you're clearly doing something right.
1: Well, like you say, I, do, I don't need it, but I'm, I'm very aware that uh, I need to honour the traditions and gain credibility of cycling to offer change yeah. at the same time. You know, like, I'm not I'm not that naive to think that having Eleanor on a team doesn't do so much for techers and what i'm really glad about is that it encourages other young women who will eventually maybe be involved in like an all women's techers session from like juniors to adults um maybe feel more welcomed and like maybe that's a good place to go and i think you know it's not just like giving us credibility on the result stuff it's like all the people she encourages and inspires to like get involved with the team and then maybe we can help further down the line as well which is awesome
0: I mean, where do you hope to ultimately... Um, have you got like a, a plan going forward for the team or are you just happy with it kind of evolving kind of organically? Or, or do you have kind of firm plans in your head with in relation to where you'd like to take it?
1: I've learned in the last couple of years of doing this that I can't have firm plans, but I have yeah. some strong ideas of where I want to go. Like Ideally, what I would like to achieve is having... Uh, I want to call it a tech as like talent team or something. Um, yeah. And I would like to go into like youth clubs and schools and places I went to school... Um, places of like, underrepresented, you know, areas in like even in the UK and just going, right, who wants to come race bikes who couldn't afford to come race bikes? And it's like we'll take, give you everything you need from like kit to equipment, and all you have to do is like turn up to here on time and be in school. And we'll create an environment where it's just fair, equal in terms of equipment and we can just try and develop some talent who wouldn't necessarily be able to get into the sport on their own. Because if you think about cycling, it's so expensive. Um, you know, there's so, so many different equipment unwritten rules and it's, it must be a minefield and so intimidating for anyone to like walk into especially if they haven't got anyone that they associate cycling with and i'd just like to try and open a gateway for people who didn't really feel like they could get into cycling to get into cycling and see if we could develop some new talent try and increase in diversity i know that's like a you know a buzzword or like you know it's like it might sound like a bandwagon but,
0: I yeah, but it, really it's fun. not though is it it's actually something that you know it People think, oh yeah, you just get. You, you could argue, I just get on the bandwagon and saying it, and it's actually no. What we ultimately want to do is make is kind of get get rid of the word. So, so what you do is completely normal, and it's not even perceived as a thing. So, it, it is totally yeah. acceptable as as part of common parlance, mate. And then, you know, it's it's a wonderful way to kind of position your team and yourself. And I know even before, oh, was it before the Techers team or around about the same time that you know you've obviously over the years it amassed quite a few bikes and uh, and I noticed and I saw that you were you know you went on Twitter and said if anybody wants to borrow one of my bikes hasn't got a bike and wants to do a bit of cyclocross a few quits just you know just dm me and I thought what a lovely thing to do <laughs> and, uh, and obviously now you've got some some sponsors on board now you've got that kind of support you can offer it in a more formal way but I thought what a lovely generous thing to do
1: Well, like it was people that did that for me, you know, like um, Alistair Tullet, like Tim Phillips, Nigel Franklin, like these guys, they all lent me bikes like from like 14 to 17, really. And that was how I was able to like be in cycling. Like it's such an expensive sport. I've, you know, stupidly had an interest in all different disciplines and I wouldn't have been able to participate in that nowhere near to the level I did if it wasn't for those people's help. And I'm just fully aware that, you know, it's those people that got me to where I am today. And without them, I wouldn't be here. So I just, I just want to do the same thing, man. It's just like I'm in a position now where I'm, I'm really fortunate and lucky to ride some of the best bikes in the world. And it's like, well, I bought these two cross bikes when I was 16. I know how much of a stress it was buying them. I was like, why not just, instead of just flipping them for like a couple hundred quid or like a gram or something, I might as well just give that opportunity to two kids or one kid to go and race nationally or something. And I'd, I'd much rather do that than a, like a quick buck. So yeah.
0: It is, I mean, it is a lovely thing. I mean, it's, it's quite different. But I remember a couple of years ago, I went away with Zwift to uh, the Dimension Data team camp and they obviously have a partnership with Quebeca, the charity. And we went to one of the townships um, and they bought, I think they'd got, I think it was about 100 bikes. And we went to this school and we and, and each of us in the team, so there's all the staff, a few of us from Zwift and the riders. And we each had a bike to give to a, to a child and it was in the grounds of the school. And do you know what? It was one of the most powerful things that's ever happened to me in my life, giving this kid – I know it's slightly different in Britain and you're giving them a bike to race on, but the amount of joy that that you can give somebody and to see the reaction you get from somebody is is very powerful. And I, 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 that will always stick with me for the rest of my life, giving this bike to this kid, obviously completely oh, different oh. circumstance in the UK, but then, and then getting on it, he'd never ridden a bike before. So he actually learned to ride the bike with me I was holding the saddle, running around this playing field, and then he he just rode off. He's about eleven, this lad, oh, and uh, and it was it makes me uh, get quite emotional actually, mate. But I think there's a real power and it's something really important about giving. And in you know we're we're both in cycling, in, you know, in in different ways. But giving something a little bit, giving a little bit back, is so so rewarding to see because we know what it's like to ride a bike for the first time and, and really get into it and and be given something, whether it's second hand or whatever. It's it's just an important thing, isn't it?
1: Or well, you essentially gave that kid freedom to a degree, right? Like another level yeah. of freedom. And it's like we experience that like each time we get on the bike. It's like you could have a bad day or whatever, or you just even a great day. And you just you could be on a great day, and you go outside, you're in the fresh air. Like for me, it's mountain biking; it does it for me. And it's just you're out there with your mates, having a great time. And it's
0: just, you. Just, you know, you can't get over
1: that feeling. And imagine being given that feeling for the first time. It's like enabling that in someone's incredible. And it's yeah, man, shouldn't be taken for granted. Like that no way.
0: No, no. Actually, I know back in. Uh... I think i used to do quite a lot of hosteling as a, as a kid um i never really did any I did track but then I, I bought myself a mountain bike for 150 quid back in the day and um went mountain biking in the peak district with some mates and we went youth hostling and we stayed in like barns and stuff like that and um i couldn't afford overshoes, not a word of a lie so i got tesco's carrier bags put them over my trainers and had elastic bands around the top cool, and that's and, and that's that's how I rode <laughs> in like 1989 and stuff. Honestly, mate, it was, but there was some of the best, full, it was a hard, well, no suspension on it, yeah. riding down these rocky trails in the Peak District when well, none of us had a suspension, we couldn't afford it. But I had some of the best days of my life on a bike doing stuff like that, adventuring with mates, um, with secondhand kit and stuff I'd essentially made myself. It was brilliant.
1: That's wicked, man. That's so cool.
0: Such good memory. I wish I'd had some photos, to be honest with you, because uh, I honestly did have that plastic bags over my feet. But anyway, <laughs> oh, that's, uh, yeah, it's thrown me a little bit, mate. But um, so, so, what about kind of um, the situation now? I mean, how are you kind of ticking off the days, mate? Does, does the team keep you really busy, or what else are you kind of into?
1: So, um, the team is the most keeping me busy. Man. Um, to be honest, I see it as like a brand. Like, um, for a while before this EF Palace collaboration, I've always like regarded Palace as someone who is just made the perfect model for me. Like they, they made a brand born from what their passion was, which is skateboarding. Yeah. As they evolved over the years and got bigger and bigger and bigger, they've always stuck true to that, and I think that's such an amazing, beautiful thing. So like when to the point where they're doing not only collaborations with EF, but like they did a collaboration with the Juventus football team. Like that is mental. Um, And then when I saw that and I was like, man, that is the goal. I was like, that's just awesome. And I would like to create Techers to be a brand, which is born from cycling, but kind of accessible by anyone. Yeah. At the moment I'm working on like apparel designs, paintings that I've been like custom hand painting or which will be the new kit this year, but then also finding ways to like offer that same, I guess, rapport to the brand by doing things that aren't necessarily cycling related. I'm going to open up a pop-up store. Okay. um and I'm just gonna open it in London and just see who gets involved and who interacts with it and not make it you know so cycling centric obviously a clear link to it but just see where it goes from that and that's you know it goes with like the bringing in the music side of things and offering people stuff that who don't really have an interest in cycling but an interest within the brand whether it's the designs the music the, the ethos or just like some funny videos or something you know and yeah it, I mean it's, I, it's, I,
0: like, think yeah. The, I think I mean when you I mean at a because they're going to ultimately if they do get interested in the brand, they are going to be coming you know they are involved it's just getting that's really important getting people into the sport and just thinking of different ways to do it rather than a traditional route and that's what you do so well and i and, uh, we can't not ignore the kind of marketing that you've done you know i and as somebody who for the last you know along with sigma and the people that i work with you know i'm i'm heavily involved in looking at fun ways and interesting and engaging ways to market i mean to be you know without blowing smoke up your ass mate you you know, you and the team have done a really good job. I love that dinosaur video with that release of the Specialized SL7. Oh, the man. flipping dinosaur. I mean, it's great. I mean, it's um whether you like bike racing, bike riding, Specialized or not, that was just a really lovely piece of <laughs> of marketing. Was just, I was watching it again before it, before it came on today just because it's so good.
1: Oh, thanks a lot. I, I love doing that, man. I, you know, it's, it's really nice that I've got the trust where from brands like Specialized who are like, willing to let me run rogue and do stuff like that now. Yeah. Um, you know, when I pitched that idea, I was like a little bit nervous. I was like, are you going to love this? or hate it. And it's they're <laughs> going, no, let's give that a shot. And it's, yeah, man, I just want to do more stuff like that. And it's just, yeah, I want to make, ideally, you know, it's like we work with the partners and stuff. It's like, when I speak to sponsors, I'm like, I want to give you more than what you put in. And I think one way of doing that is also, I don't want to waste people's time. So if I make someone watch like an advert for like a brand that we work with, I want to make them watch something so they don't realize it's an advert or I'm trying to sell them something. And if yeah. come the end of that video, they don't have any interest in associating themselves with that brand. They don't feel like their time's been wasted. Um, yeah. It's just little things like that, man. Like you, you don't want to try and alienate people or make people hostile towards you and
0: stuff. Or it's
1: just I enjoy doing it. I really do. It's fun.
0: Did you enjoy right? I I didn't realize it was Winnet's Pass and just looking at it and I thought I know that climb. That's got to be Winnetz, and it what it was Winnet's in the Peak Street, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, was. that's part part of it. Did you did you ride up it or were you part of a were you somewhere else?
1: So, in, in that part, I had Ali, <laughs> Ali and Ewan on the team who were riding up that. That's right. Ewan was flying, like, he was flying, and Ali had just come off, like, she works at the NHS, just come off as like mental work, like, two months, hardly ridden a bike. And Ewan was just, like, drilling her. It was ridiculous. Um, I was sitting in the van just laughing. I was just cracking up. And then, um, yeah, thankfully, I got all the flat
0: stuff, which is great. <laughs> yeah, because that is an absolute brute. It's uh, one day you'll have to ride up it, mate. It's, I have done it once. I have done it once, you? and um, I did it for like a cycling weekly,
1: uh, video, and uh ah, it right. was just spinning. And I was up it, and I was like, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> I had to ride up this, and my back wheel was just spinning. This is how steep it is. It's mental.
0: Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty rude that climb. It's yeah, one of the most iconic climbs in the UK, I think. But uh, but there you go. Um. Alec, what are you like? We're coming drawing kind of to um, to the end of the pod. Um, what are you like with snacks? Snack. Kind of snack knowledge.
1: See, I freaking love snacks. Everyone's like, oh, do you eat really healthy because you ride a bike? I'm like, nah, man. Give me Haribo cookies, whatever. Sign me up. Good Go stuff. Mate. Good stuff.
0: In. Okay. <laughs> Well, that, that is good because uh, every week um, on the uh, the Matt Stevens Unplugged podcast, we do something called Guess That Snack. Um, so, Niall, if you want to just fire up the jingle, it's time for Guess That Snack. Guess That Snack, Guess That Snack, oh yeah, Guess That Snack. <laughs> no expense spared, mate, on the jingle. What do you reckon to that? That was, that was um, emotional. <laughs> emotional. <laughs> that is one way of putting it. That was Cecile Utrop Ludwig uh, giving us that jingle. Um, so she provided her dulcet tones earlier last year. Now, to basically guess that snack is that the kind of um, premise is relatively simple. Um, I've got in front of me, um, on a plate, four um, packages of well known snacks that you will be familiar with. What I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you what the snacks are, I'm going to list them in a few moments' time, and then. I'm going to remove the pop shield from in front of the microphone, get really nice and close to the mic, and pop each snack in my mouth, and then you're going to have to guess by the the type of crunch what snack it is. Okay, mate?
1: Excellent. Let's go.
0: So you've got it. Right. So pop shield removed. There you go. Right. So let's run through the snacks. We've got Pringles. Okay, mate? I mean, you know, it's uh, annoying
1: because I was about to say that it's the sound of a Pringle tube and you I was like, I've got to guess it. And
0: I wouldn't like, <laughs> a, <witness. laughs> so, a, a Pringle. tube a Pringle we, we haven't quite got to that point just yet, but maybe that's what we'll just have to sort of, just by the sound of the packaging, not the crunch. That's a good idea. Somebody write that down. Anyway, so we've got Pringle's original. So they're just like the ready salted kind of regular flavour. Yeah. Um, slightly, it's a not... It's an unusual tube. It's slightly shorter. It's from Poundland, um, only a pound, uh, but again reduced in size. But the Pringle itself as is completely normal. So Pringles. Next up, we've got crunchy tough toffee popcorn. Oh, okay. So a little bag of popcorn. So it's regular popcorn, but slightly coated. In like a like a like a toffee kind of caramel coating. Are we going,
1: going butter kissed? Is
0: that what we're saying? They are butter mate. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say yeah brand. They are butter kissed, crunchy toffee popcorn. Okay. Um, next up, an absolute classic from our from both of our school days: uh, Walker's Square Crisps.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. A, I mean, you know, salt that. salt and vinegar flavour. Yeah. So we've got a bag of those, and um, again. This is a snack that we've I've been using over the last few weeks. They're still in date, thankfully, but a rather seasonal snack. And these are quite quite different. Tesco's crispy coated peanuts, pigs in blankets flavor.
1: That's out there. That is.
0: Yeah, so they're proper on a tangent. But they are, a, I'm not, you know, a, a, we're not getting any money from Tesco's, but they are really tasty. And they're basically a normal peanut coated in a crispy coating which is basically pigs in blanket flavor all right so pigs in blanket coated peanuts a walker square cri- uh, crisps pringles originals and Buttergus crunchy toffee you ready mate yeah go for it so i'm going to um pop the first one in my mouth um take your time um have a good think uh stay focused here we go first one's going in now 100% squares. That, was a, that wasn't a square. <laughs> oh, no! Mm. That wasn't a square, mate, but I can see you're thinking. Um, let me just swallow that a bit. I've run out of water. Yes, that wasn't a square. Sorry about that, bud. Wow. Next up.
1: Wow. All right, go cool. on. My girlfriend's sitting there going, that's definitely a peanut,
0: you idiot. <laughs> it, it, well, I'm not going to say what it was or what it wasn't, but it, it wasn't a square. So, next up. Have a think, mate. It's still, You can still pull this back. You can still pull this back. So it's going in now. Here we go. I'll pop another one in for you. Here we go.
1: Oh, you can just hear that toffee caramel just squishing in your mouth, don't you?
0: That's the one, mate. You are correct. Armando. That was indeed a butterkiss crunchy toffee popcorn. Superb skills, mate. You're back on track. Right. Next up. Have a little think, mate. Have a little think. Here we go. It's going in now.
1: See... Now, either you rustled that packet just
0: to throw me off. (laughs) It's a walker square, Square, Chris. It is a a walker square, Chris. Well done, mate. I think there might have been a clue in the rustle there. (laughs) Um, I'll have to, yeah, I'll have to keep the packets a bit further away from the microphone. It's a very sensitive microphone, quite clearly. (laughs) I wouldn't put it
1: past you. you. You're a devious
0: character. Right, here we go. Next one coming up um, now. Okay. Almost like an explosion. Flip a neck. Oh.
1: Can you put two of them like next to each other and put them in your mouth so you're like a duck? Can you do that with this snack?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was a very sneaky question. No, no, I'm gonna
1: go Pringle that one. I'm gonna go Pringle. I'm torn between nuts, but I'm gonna go Pringle. Are you sure? I oh, say, why are you doing that to me? It's like millionaire Chris Tarrant going. <laughs> <I did> it. <laughs> yeah, screw you! I'm going Pringle.
0: That was a crispy coated peanut. Ah! Mm. Oh, mate! So you actually got two, two right? But um, and yeah, uh, two, two go, and a half. You know, it's a Pringle just
1: from the sound of the
0: tube. Go on, I'll give you half a point for that. Go on then, we'll give you half a point. And, and I, the only one I haven't actually crunched is the actual Pringle, to be perfectly honest with you. Oh, uh, yeah.
1: So did you up on the
0: peanut? What did you do first time? Oh, no, I did I did a Pringle and you thought it was a... I can't remember. <laughs> I honestly can't remember. <laughs> I've, got, I've, got sna- I've got snack confusion. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. Anyway, you got two and a half points, mate, which is pretty solid. Oh, man. Anybody else? So it's, it's over fifty. So it's about when you look at it as a percentage, that's about sixty-five percent. in guess that snack. I tell you who. I tell you who you need to get on the Lewisham
1: quiz is Ned Bolton. Oh yeah, yeah. Is it? Oh, of course he he, he he lives in Lewisham, doesn't he? Yeah, man. He's 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 claiming that his rightful place.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm actually doing some work with Ned. I'm off to uh, the. The UAE tour with with Ned in a, in about a month, all being well, fingers crossed. So look, looking forward to working with Ned again. He's a good lad, Ned. Yeah, I, like I, do, him. I, do, I do I do like him. Um, uh, Alec, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Uh, the, the final question I'm, I'm going to ask you is um, where where do you get your groceries? Where do you shop?
1: Uh, all right, this is bad boy clothes shop at the top of the road, but on the hot right, board, I'm going to say Sainsbury's. You know, just wrapping a ginger ginger flex. So.
0: That is so, such a wonderful thing to say because the Sainsbury's in Lewisham, when it was first built in the late 60s, was considered to be the biggest supermarket in the whole of Europe. <laughs> there you go. You know what?
1: <laughs> what a random fact. Next time I'm rolling through there, I'm going to go, do you know, guys?
0: Exactly. You know, you can just impress your mates or you're down the pub or you just drop it into the middle of a DJ set. Just facts like that. People love it, mate. People love
1: it. I have to start the Friday lockdown series again. So yeah, I'll I'll drop that in mid-session, just drop now.
0: You need to represent Lewisham uh, big time, mate, because, yeah, it's, it's, there's some interesting, there's some very depressing facts about Lewisham as well. Let's not end on a low, uh-huh. but um, be, be warned. It's, it's been through its hard times, but there's also a lot of cool stuff on there as well. But, but Alec, first and foremost, mate, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I've had a, a lot of fun. Um, I am going to ask you um, on the record to please send me that footage. Of you basing around the back garden, speedway style, because we'll use that to promote the the the, uh, the podcast. If that's all right,
1: yeah, no problem. We'll get my dad to get out the family video. No problems
0: brilliant stuff mate well you take care of yourself bud catch up soon and hopefully our paths will cross in real life sooner rather than later mate
1: thank you very much Matt take care man
0: take care mate cheers what an inspirational and cool guy Alec really is thanks very much to him for taking the time to chat with me today and I really do hope the Tegas team continues to redefine the sport as it grows in 2021 and beyond thanks as ever to Perry at Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune and thanks to you for listening don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod and why not recommend it to your cycling buddies or to a lion with ulterior motives if you find it hanging out with a deer. And finally, a huge thanks to Alec for chatting with me today and giving me some shopping tips for next time I'm in Lewisham. Cheers all, goodbye and stay safe.